Welcome to CompTIA Community Casts. This episode features a conversation from CompTIA's Communities and Councils Forum. For more on CCF, visit comptia.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're coming to you from Batavia, Illinois, the headquarters for Highwire Networks. I am uh, Charles Hughes. I'm the Chief Operating Officer with Highwire Networks. And Phil, will you introduce yourself? Hi. Good morning, everybody. I'm Philip Burnett, the CISO for Highwire Networks. Glad to be with you. So uh, I realize everybody's got a lot going on in their lives right now. Uh, we all know what's going on out there with the pandemic and coronavirus. Uh, we are here in our headquarters. Uh, we, we have shut down operations. We have our people working remotely. So we're 100% functional, but out of the interest of following the guidelines by Department of Health, we have chosen to have our people work remotely. Uh, Phil and I chose to come in here this morning to do this presentation for you and, and have some conversations around other aspects of what's going on in the world. Plus, we have some upgrades going on to our server room, so somebody needs to be here to let those people in. Uh, that's probably going to be the highlight of my skill set for the day. So it's a multi-purpose uh, function here. Like I said, we do know there's a lot going on in the world of remote workers. Uh, we can see it in the headlines. A lot of companies are scrambling to get that capability going. And it brings to mind the fact that there's other things out there going on with cybersecurity and making sure that when their employees are working remotely, they can do it safely. I, I just read, Bill, I think you can expand on the Department of Health uh, had an incident the other night. Yep. Yeah, they did. And, and many other people have uh, also reported uh, incidents of, of breaches through either email, uh, BEC, you know, the business email compromise. There's uh, hacking, phishing, all kind of things going on out there. The bad guys are not taking a break. They're coming full steam because they understand people are in situations that they haven't really planned for or haven't practiced. And that's one of the things we'll talk about today is how do you prepare for this unexpected uh, rotation or work situation? Yeah, that's very important. I know it's the operations side of the house. Uh, we're always looking at what what's the expected act. Uh, work of the day, what's the plan, what's going to happen, but then what do you do when your plan has to has to change, you know, drastically as we've had this, what are the components of that plan that you need to be looking at so you can address the changing macro environment we're working in? Well, as with any disaster recovery or those kind of situations, you have to first find out what is it that's essential to your business that you have to protect? Where are they located? Who has access to them? What kind of access do they need? How do you how are you alerted when somebody who doesn't need access is all of a sudden granted access? So there's a lot of control mechanisms. There's a lot of protection, monitoring, alerting, a lot of those things. But also you need to make sure that people can do their job comfortably and securely. Remote access is a, is a huge issue. So looking at ways for VPN or other um, you know, secure access is vital. Yeah, I can see where that'd be important. And I think a lot of times we consider remote access is, hey, I've got internet, I've got a computer, I've got a phone, I can access anything I need to in the world. But what are the things we need to do to make sure our people are accessing it securely and safely? And while we're looking out for their personal health and welfare, how are we still containing the person, the health and welfare of the company and are more importantly of our end customers? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and there's a lot of solutions out there. Uh, we actually offer one that uh, it controls uh, access all the way down to the application level, and that's important because people working on their home system, for example, so if they, in the office they have a desktop, they go home, they're using their personal equipment, 
how do you make sure it's up to date? How do you make sure they're antivirus? All those other things are right. Well, if you have some kind of controlled access that will limit only to an application, then there are features and functions there that can protect that. It's basically, think about it as putting the access in a tunnel and allowing them to reach out virtually to where they need to be to do what they got to do, but also screen printing, sharing files, printing things on their printer. A lot of printers are wireless. How are they protecting the, the wireless printing going on in people's homes? There's, there's a lot of issues, so you really need to be in touch with your security people to find out, hey, what are some tips on things that I need to do? Okay. You know, but when you talk about reaching out to people, that, that brings up another interesting aspect. Uh, a lot of companies are set up where they have very robust internal communication systems. Uh, we, we have connected offices. Uh, some people are already set up for the remote workforce. But what? how do you establish out-of-band communication when that's been compromised? If, if a hacker or somebody malicious is coming in and they are in that internal system, how important is that out-of-band communications? And quite frankly, how would you start it? Well, that's a great question, and it's vital. Think of uh, a ransomware event where an entire uh, ecosystem, essentially, is encrypted. What are you going to do? Your, your email servers are down. An email is, is, is uh, essentially a critical communication medium, right? Everybody relies on their email and such. So you make sure that you have a plan that says, hey, this cell phone number, cell phone to cell phone, like if I were to call you, we can talk securely pretty much. Um, and then moving on through your stack, saying how do we contact, who do we contact, who are the owners of those various processes, and make sure that they understand how to have that communication. That's another good point. If you get an email that, that tells you to uh, transfer funds or to write a check or do whatever you got to do, pick up the phone and call somebody because that could very well be somebody in your environment who's been hacked months ago. And then all of a sudden they came up and sends this e send this email that looks real. I mean, all the checks, it, it came from the right person, the right domain, all the things that they teach you in your security awareness, they can be hacked. They can be uh, spoofed. You know, I, and I think uh, you, you bring up a good point when you start talking about that. Because I know in, in my world from the operations side, I'm thinking we have this event going on in society today. So now people are sitting down and trying to figure out how can they take advantage of it. But in reality, they were probably thinking about this event a year ago, two years ago, having plans in place. And we always talk about our plans in order to react to and prevent these kind of attacks. But we have to realize the bad guys are out there planning on how to exploit these kind of attacks on a regular basis. So how do you stay abreast of that and what's going on prior to something actually becoming invasive to your ecosystem? Well, there's, there's a lot of ways. And one of the ways that we recommend is to do uh, micro-focused tabletops. So you take one particular aspect of your DR plan and you test it. You have uh, flashcards, if you will, old school even, and uh, and you hand those out. That's all of a sudden today you become the CEO. Here's all the questions the CEO has to answer and has to be ready for. If everybody in the team understands the roles of everybody else, communication is so much more effective. So tabletops are a great way, for example, how to how to prepare but then you can take the, the planning. You have to understand how to respond, how, you know, the communication plan, protecting assets. There's a whole list that you should have. So if you don't have a DR plan, it's never too late to start and build one and then test it. And are, are you able to do tabletops for, for our current customers or people that would be interested? Because I wouldn't know how to go about starting that. But is that something you could do on behalf of some of our customers? 
We do. We do. And, and in fact, later this week, we're going to have a uh, part one of a two part series on how to prepare for a tabletop. And then we're going to actually later when people can travel, we're going to actually have a live one here. And we're going to actually pretend and we're going to go through it. We're going to hand out cards. We're going to ask questions. We're going to whiteboard. We're going to do all the things you need to do. And then later on, we can do one-to-one -one with companies, uh, you know, through a, a little small engagement, come in, coach them, teach them, review, do all that kind of stuff. So, so to answer your question, yes, we're able to do that. You know, there's another aspect to it, and this does touch closer to home to my world. How do you coordinate when you need access to remote sites? How do you mobilize people and teams? Because there could be situations where remote access isn't the answer. You need somebody to physically do something to a machine or a device. Yeah, that, that's a great question, and you have to do that before the emergency. During a, a crisis is not the time to try to figure out how do, how do I do this? How do I get boots on the ground? Most Some companies don't have that, so you need to think about that ahead of time. Um, within, say, 20 miles of a, of a given data center or something, if your data is there, how are your people going to get on site to do what you need to do? And then you, that's part of your plan. You reach out to whoever the data center provider is. You make sure those communications, those plans are in effect especially lights out centers, right? There's, there's a lot of lights out data centers out right. there that you need a, a plan well ahead. There's passwords, uh, cards in your wallet, you know, places like Iron Mountain, wherever they have backup data stored. So there, there's a lot of things you need to think of way before the crisis happens. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk some of that Thursday and then uh, the follow-on meeting. Yeah, just like it's important to have that partner that helps you expand your not capabilities, right. your monitoring capabilities. Having that partner that can actually be feet on the street uh, could be an Correct. important part of the plan. Yep. And you have to have those mechanisms ready to go you know, prior to needing them. Yep. Okay. Um, there's another aspect I thought about this because I actually saw a situation uh, with some people, how they were acting on emails the other day. We talk about monitoring what's coming into our network. And if we put up remote workers, how do they access that network? But now I have a remote worker who's accessing my network and he may be accessing other networks. And is there a way to monitor the outbound traffic or the outbound risk that might come with that remote worker connecting to our network? Uh, yeah, part of um, a, a SIM or SOC solution is the monitoring. And some companies uh, are, are large enough to have all that internal where they have that capability. They're watching traffic both directions, the firewalls, for example. Um, but uh, if you don't, then you, you have to get a, a trusted partner to come in and say, Here's what we have. This is what we can offer. Here are the things that we that we will alert you on. Um, they, there's custom rules. For example, when an administrative account is added, or if there's a large amount of data, you have things like data loss prevention tools that will actually alert when a, a, a particular person through behavior analysis uh, is all of a sudden sending a big file. For example, I wouldn't necessarily go in and pull all the financials and email them to you. Uh, that would be a weird behavior for my role in the company, right. right? So you look for behavior analysis. You look for indicators. And we say indicators are compromised. But also, uh, don't forget that 87% of threats are, are insider threat. That's still very big. We don't hear about it a lot these days about insider threat, insider threat. But they're still there. People preparing to change jobs, whatever the situation may be, uh, they, they tend to uh, want to own the data that they help right. develop, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's a situation where you got to say, well, you know, you really don't own it. <laughs> it belongs to the company and you were paid during that situation. But, but uh, you know, those, those are the kind of situations you have to watch for. Yeah, we like it when our people take their job very seriously, they're very passionate about what they're doing, um, just understanding, you know, how that works and, yeah. and how that goes through. And 
when you talk about the internal risk, though, there becomes another aspect of it. Uh, yeah, there's, there could be that malicious, but then there's also the there's no malintent with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a lack of training. Um, so when, when you start taking a look at how we train our people, how much? what's the biggest advantage for the proactive training versus the reactive training that comes after the fact? How do you balance that out with having people aware and knowledgeable, knowing what to do, but then also having time to do their job? Because you, know, you, you always hear the people, I didn't get the training done because I was busy taking care of the customer, which is important. Sure. How do you balance that out? Well, having a really good security awareness training program that's multifaceted. I mean, you can have the nice videos and things that they watch and take a test. You can also have uh, newsletters. You have internal documents, things for people to watch out for. For example, you know, the, the Microsoft Tuesday still sends out, uh, we have 116 patches, for example, this month. We need to make sure to share that with the right people, but, but also uh, convert that from tech speak to business speak. So that's a huge gap that a lot of companies have is how do they explain a technical risk as it becomes a business risk because they're both related. How do you get that? Like for me, how do I communicate to you that this particular uh, remote access or this other problem that Microsoft has identified is a risk to you as well and to the company? So you put it in, in in your risk formula, you know, and you lay it all out and you say, this is what we have and this is why it's important and this is the action. You always need to follow up with those recommendations with some sort of action steps. What does this person need to do? What does the team need to do? What are their roles, responsibilities? You know, when you keep those pretty succinct and, and, and digested enough where uh, they can re- uh, react to them right away. Okay. You know, it's kind of like when uh, the marketing and the product development people come and they say, hey, here's this new product we want to use, and it's our job to figure out how to operationalize it. Now, we have our Overwatch platform, which I believe there's a slide that gives you a little overview of that. Um, It's the same thing there. How do we take all this data and this information coming in, operationalize it into actionable items? Can you talk a little bit about the connection between uh, an Overwatch-type SOC and the operational teams and how those two have to be uh, married married, uh, very close together for that part? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, from our SOC team, there's an extensive training program they have to go through for, you know, network security, system security, ethical hacking, et cetera. There's a lot of things they have to do. But most important is to develop develop a, a rapport with your counterparts. So in, in our relationship, mm-hmm. I reach out to all of the senior executives for our partners, and I, I build that relationship with them. Knowing that in the middle of the night, if Phil calls on their cell phone, this is something that, that's critical because we've worked through it. We've thought through the steps because there are technical resources first to get involved and it depends on the situation, but it's most important to build that rapport and get that trust. It's all about trust because they are trusting us and and any SOC SIM provider has the same situation. They have the trust of somebody's business, their livelihood. And if it's a small business owner, that's their, that's their baby. That's their passion. So there it's like, you know, you babysitting somebody's kid. It's, it's something you have to hold, know that it's precious to them. So, so that's all. That's all well and good. We like that. Yeah. But uh, let's let's think of the NFL for a second. They they go into the game and they they've got a running game plan, and the running game falls apart. Now they got to switch to a passing attack. Yep. You know, how do you move? How what makes the program more nimble, and able to change strategy midstream based on what the other team's doing? Well. 
the way we look at it is just like the World Health Organization, test, test, test. We have train, train, train. So we're constantly teaching, training, mentoring. We actually have mentors that teach and coach and review and do quality assurance, right? So you have those factors. And then you have to figure out when is it time during the remediation, is it time to go active? Is it time to actually uh, allow automation to perform functions that have been approved, uh, blocking users, uh, removing assets, uh, and deeper forensic analysis? So it just depends on what the situation calls for, what the appropriate response is. But it has to be measured, well thought out, and, and planned for. So I, I know the Overwatch platform has a great deal of AI built into it, a lot of machine learning based yep. what's going on, and it can react extremely fast. But there's still that, that overlay of, of personal interaction that can enhance it, take it even further. Uh, it's, it's the whole debate, I know we've all heard this conversation about, is, is it AI versus human intelligence, or is it AI working with human intelligence? I'm, I'm of the school that AI is great, uh, it, it enables us to do wonderful things, but it doesn't replace the human piece of it. it. It makes the human piece of it move faster, quicker, more accurately, but sometimes we have to intervene with the system and work together with it to point it in a different direction and, and go for that Hail Mary maybe at the end of the game in order to win, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you think of it this way. A lot of people use the analogy of a needle in a haystack. I say it's gone way, way harder than that. It's a needle in a pile of needles. So we use AI to identify what needle in that stack is most uh, typically the one we want to look at. Once you've removed all the uh, unimportant needles out of the way, the analyst then can focus on that needle that they need to focus on and then the appropriate response, which is through training, training, training. So we use the AI to remove noise because everybody should, uh, should understand that false positives really aren't false positives. They just mean that the system detected something that was similar to a threat or a behavior that it thought about or that the algorithms have you know, thought about. Mm. And uh, then you have to use the human to be able to interpret and see what action is, is appropriate. Sometimes it could be it's, it's an approved uh, process. It just the system looked at it as saying, this is kind of a strange connection, but it may be what the business needs. So we have to analyze and understand those and then know what the appropriate response is. Well, so it's like a faint, yeah, and, the, and the bad guys, they, they may throw out a bunch of those quote-unquote false positives so you won't notice what they're really trying to do. Sure. Yeah, okay. That makes good or, sense. Or like when a quarterback does a pump and then throws the long ball, right? I mean, right. It's, it's the football analogy, right? You, the pump fake gets people to move a certain way, and that's what the bad guys are trying to do. Go for this little fake. Well, in the real time, we're, we're trickling. We're doing a low and slow. Uh, for years in my training for, with cybersecurity, they always warned about these low threats. It happens maybe once or twice a day for months and months and months. And I was taught in the military in some of my intelligence training was that in, in some of these uh, uh, nation state countries, they actually designate people from the time they're, they're young men and women to uh, attack a particular target. Let's, let's pick Japan. Let's say Sasebo or somewhere in Japan. That is their target. They learn everything they can about that target through social media and everything else that they can learn so that they understand the nuances and the culture and then how to break into that culture. Because once they can, they can speak and, and, and create things that are common and custom, behavior awareness really doesn't have that much of an impact because they're acting as if they're real. That's the dangerous part of nation states as well. Right. And, and that's the part that we always have to be diligent about. Um, we could go on 
for hours and hours on this. I, I know Phil could. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot in this little bit of time. Like I said, uh, it's nice for you to be able to take this and make it operational, you know, real for people yeah. like myself. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot more we can share with you on this. The, the thing to keep in mind is you have the training, you, you have the tools, you have the systems in place. Understand how to use them. How do you operationalize and, and defend your, your company and your network? And more importantly, because so hopefully the training and the tabletop exercise is toughening us up a little bit. It does. Um, you can go to our website at uh, highwirenetworks.com, uh, look into our Overwatch platform. Feel free to reach out to us. Be happy to share more with you. It's just important that we all understand uh, our dynamic is changing in the world. Uh, I've had people talk to me as, as I was coming out here. And they said, man, I just can't wait till we return to normal. And, and I correct them. I said, no, we're going to return to the new normal. Correct. Because we won't go back to the way things were. We've come out better and stronger. And this is what we learned from these exercises. And that's why it's great to have professionals like yourself on the team so we can adjust to that and adapt and keep going forward. So, uh, again, I, I appreciate the time. Sure. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. And thank you very much for the uh, people at CompTIA for sponsoring this and giving us an opportunity to share some information with you. Thanks, everybody. To hear podcasts from all of CompTIA's membership communities, you can download the mobile app or listen in on the website at comptia.org communities.